in, we're in, we're in. We are in, we are in. Welcome to Coffee and Call Sheets, everyone. <laughs> it's good. We're getting a little country now. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Coffee and Call Sheets. I'm BC. I'm Spoon. And this week we have Rick Seeloff. Rick Seeloff is an onset decorator and a good friend of ours. Uncle Ricky. I need to move a table. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rick would be there on the spot. Yeah. And Cousin Lily. Yes. Yes, Cousin we'll have Lily. we to get Cousin Lily in here. For sure. So uh, Rick's worked in the business for over 20 years. Yep. And he's going to talk to us today about his experience uh, working in film and television. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I remember and I really felt was a next step forward in the development of my job position, my, mm -hmm. my craft, so to speak, um, as an AD was when I got my first job specifically to work background. Background. I like well, working with background. Yeah, me too. I, I, um, I think you got to like working with background to yeah. be an AD at some point. Well, some ADs don't give a damn about background. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, for me, because we're assistant directors, and background are a big part of it. And if you don't know what background are, people, it's uh, they're extras. And we don't like to really call them extras. No. They're, they're background artists. They're out there acting, you know. And they, yeah, they're background actors. They are actors. Yeah, exactly. They are actors. Um, so with the background, you're trying to paint a picture in the background to to uh, coincide with the actors yeah, and make that whole thing work. And it, it, is a, it, it is a skill. And there's a live scene, a lot of people who can't really do it. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we bring people into, let's say we have a restaurant scene, mm -hmm. right? We don't just bring people into the restaurant and sit them down and say, you know, or just tell them to go through the door and say, okay, act like you're in the restaurant. Right. You know, there's... There's a process of putting people in certain places. It, do we want to have right people look, at that exactly, table? Do we want to have exactly. people more over there? Yeah. And and the other thing is, is like we need to have people. We need to have movement. You know. Yes. And depending on the script and what the camera. The and yeah. There's all types of these types of considerations that we have in our heads. Yeah. But an actor one background out of say 50 is not going to be able to coordinate themselves on their own to just do that without someone telling them what to exactly. do. Exactly. And it's <laughs> the the weirdest thing about uh background is that you have to be subtle. You know? Yeah, you and don't want to draw attention, attention away from the actors. Exactly. And you don't and in being subtle doesn't mean being stiff. I don't know how many times you get the chance, you know, you run background action. And usually, you know, we don't, sometimes we don't get enough time to run a background action, right? Yeah. You know, you set it up, oh, we're ready to go. So then now, you know, your first couple of takes are with the back, with the, you know, it's the first time you see it run. And <laughs> you can just see people walking by, like, they're just so stiff. And what I like to do with background is I like to give them a scenario. So I may say something like, okay, you guys have been married for 10 years. It's the first time you've been out for, you know, you got two kids. First time you really had a, you've been out for like, like a really good date night. So how would you interpret that? 
You know, I got to see you have fun. You know, this is the, the, the love of your life. You've, you've been wanting to be married forever. And then I may have a, a situation where I want them to be kind of adversarial. Oh, yeah, you've been with this woman or you've been with this man for 10 years. You know they're cheating. You've got to show me that. And it's like all of a sudden they're now engaged into the scene. They're engaged in what's going on. And it makes it simpler for me because now I can I, I allow them to do what they really want to do is act. So you give them you give them a purpose. And I and I think it I think it it, it it's it's um it is great for background. You know. In fact there should be a background class. I'm sure more than half of them are, have taken acting classes and stuff exactly, like that. Exactly. Yeah. But I do believe I've heard of a few uh, people that I've worked with who worked background who said like they took a sort of background class basically that gives them an understanding of like what is going on on set when right. you are background but I think so you understand the yeah, process. exactly. But I think that's more of background etiquette as opposed to Acting for acting background. Acting for background, exactly. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm not an actor, so right. but I would imagine that all the skills that you learn as an actor are going to very easily prepare you for being a background actor. The only thing you need to keep in mind is two things, which I think should be covered in background etiquette, which is don't say shit. <laughs> right, unless, unless they're going to give you the a first rule. Exactly. <laughs> don't say anything. Don't. Pantomime. Uh, yes, pantomime. And um, if, if you do say anything, you need to be asked to say something exactly um that's number one and number two is um is not to be over the top you don't want to draw attention to yourself no so uh, you know i think like you said you want to be subtle um not only in the way that as an ad you set up the background i know i've done that a few times where it's like i kind of go a little too far and And, i'm like we do I wind up like you know what that's gonna that winds up drawing too much attention right. um, away from the main actors. So yeah, I need to dial it back a little bit. But if if you're a background actor and you know you find yourself like swinging your hands and and doing things very fast and over the top, right. chances are that's probably not what we need for the scene. Right, exactly. And then chances are the director's gonna like, uh, hey, can you um. Yeah, let's let's get that guy out of there, or let's get that young lady out yes, of there. Yes, and that's happened so many times. Um, I, I learned background on Beverly Hills Cop Three, and it was huge. We were shooting up at uh, Paramount's Great America, and, and I find that you have to really be in tune with the camera operators, property. Because property is going to give them props, and props was to see them exactly. preferably before they get on set. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, costumes, you know, and what the one thing about background that costumes does is costumes, I always allow costumes to come in and switch people around based on their clothing and, and you know, maybe they don't want two people in purple together right, or right. people in red and they want to mix it up. And that's a, that's a part of the teamwork that we yeah. talk about. Yeah. So, you know, background is not only just us putting background where they need to be, but it's also allowing the other departments to deal with them. Yes. Because there's times where we're in a tight position, Grip and Electric have all of their their flags or lights, but we've got to get a 
a background artist to kind of sneak through and you've got to get the background artists who are paying attention because there are some who just show up to want to check. And, and I, 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 I don't want to just say that's okay because it's not. It's like because you're here to do a job. You're here to do the best job you can. And I've had background artists who just show up and aren't paying attention and then, you know, giving me shit. Yeah, and I've, and I've learned to, you know, see those people yep. when they <laughs> present themselves. Exactly. And I just, I push them to the back. Exactly. Or, or I, I, they'll be the last person I pull from holding to use in the scene. It's yeah. like, I mean, it kind of unfortunately rewards them for that sort of bad behavior of just I got called and I'm just going to sit here yep. and not do anything and be sort of a wet rag. Right. But, but I mean, wet rags can be used deep. Yeah, they can be used deep and they can be not used at all. Right. I don't care, you know, if, unless I need you. Right, exactly. You know, I'd rather not waste my time trying to deal with you. Get blood out of a stone. Right, exactly. And I got a story. So I'm working on this TV show, Studio 60, right? So we're having two units. I'm running background. Uh, me and a PA, and I was a, I was additional at the time, and um, this young lady comes in, and you know, she's coming in. I'm I'm always respectful because you're you're human. She comes in, she has a bit of attitude, so I'm like, you know, maybe I don't know what her day has been. It's early, so I, I kind of give her a break, and uh, you know, I'm I'm bringing her in and out, and so then I'm I I need her for a scene, and I don't see her, right? So. I look over at second unit, and she's over there with a wig. And what she's trying to do is get a check from second unit. Oh. And I'm looking, and I'm like, hey, what are you doing over there? What do you mean? I'm, this is my set. I'm like, no, you're over here. She's like, oh, no, that's my twin sister. And I'm like, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? <laughs> Your twin sister? Really? So, all right, you sit right here. And your twin sister's still working for me, right? She's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, we're going to wait to see your twin sister come back. And she sat there. It's like, where's your twin sister? I don't know. I'll call her. Yeah, call her. Because, I mean, if your twin sister doesn't show back up, I'm going to call Central. And I'm going to make sure she's banned, not, not only from my show, but that I'm going to give her a derogatory remark. And she's not going to work at all. And so homegirl just wow. sat there. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You, you came in with an attitude, so right away I'm going to remember you. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, needless to say, we fired her from both units. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, are called um, uh, Central. I, I know that there's been uh, incidents on set with background. Now, mind you, background are actors. Actors are people. Right. And yeah, there have been times where background, again, we're dealing with people background have been offensive to other background, background. artists offensive to crew members we yeah. had to send them home there have been times when people have been sick um and we've had to sometimes lose people there have been times when people literally disappear they have personal emergencies yeah. and as ad's and as production assistants who work in the ad department it, it's it's upon us to manage all of that. Exactly. I once had a girl who was, uh, I think, having a sort of like uh, mental breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to say a dissociative um, episode. And we needed to, I needed to handle that situation and, and 
get that person home yeah. safely. I had one guy come in drunk. Oh, yeah. Like, I was like, dude. Man, we I, had- I told him, I said, I got to send you home. I got, not only do I have to send you home, but I cannot let you leave. Exactly. I need this. Yeah. I, I had, I had him, I set him aside. I said, you cannot leave. You need to stay here and holding for, I kept him there for like two hours. And after like two hours, two, three hours, I was like, I think you're sober. And, And I was this is between him and I. I was not trying to throw him under the bus. Right. Um, and I, I spoke to, um, you know, the ADs, and I was holding this situation, and we decided it's like he's going to sober up, and then we're going to send him home. Right. And we did. Yeah. I, I worked on this uh, movie, Basketball. What is it? Basketball. Basketball. The guys from uh, the guys from South Park, Trey and uh, and Matt. They were they were stars in, in producing this show, right? Okay. So it was cool, man. We were having a good time, but we were at we were at uh, the Olympic Auditorium, which now I believe is a Korean church. Okay. Right, and so we would have we had like five to six hundred background every day, and you know it's a big stadium, right? So I would go around and I would catch background, smoking, right. <laughs> Um, I, I caught a couple of background having sex. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Animal House, right? Right. You know, it's a big, it's a big stadium, right? And you were just, and then every day we had the mad shitter. Somebody would shit every day in the aisles. What? Yes, <laughs> the mad shitter every day with shit in the aisles. I'm thinking it, that this somebody's blowing up the bathroom. No, no, in the aisles, bro. Damn. Yeah, and it was just so wild because we would have them, and it was just like. And at the end of the night, you're signing everybody out, and you're saying, and you're just wondering, who is it? Who's <laughs> the mad shitter? <laughs> that might be the mad shitter. <laughs> That's but, funny. But yeah, that it was a uh, it was a cool. I, I really enjoyed that show, but I really enjoy background. I I I I I like whenever when I was I like it as an AD because I think we. It's our opportunity, besides scheduling and getting everybody ready, but but it gives us the opportunity to be really creative. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We do we do sort of paint the picture yeah. when we're setting up the background. Right, exactly. I think that's where our work gets to be seen. Yes, really seen, really seen exactly on the, on the screen. Yeah. Well, that being said, um, someone who gets to put his work up on the screen pretty much in every shot. Yeah. Unless they're shooting in a black oh, studio. Right, exactly. Um, is Rick Seeloff. Uncle Ricky. Uh, Rick has worked in the industry for over 20 years. Yeah. He's worked with us on Snowfall. Um, he's been on tour with Barbara Streisand. Yeah. Before that, before he even got in the industry, he was a veteran and he was uh, in the service in the first Gulf War. Yeah. And and the other thing is, is that Rick also worked um, sculpting prosthetics. Prosthetics. Yeah. yeah. Which so, is amazing. Yeah. So he's going to talk to us about all of that. Yeah. Um, and here's Rick Seeloff. Uncle Ricky. Well, 
take your time. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you can't see right now, but I'm flipping both of them off. Um, Rick. Uh, I'm sorry. Uncle Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who know will know. <laughs> What's up, Rick? I haven't seen you in a while. I know, right? Yeah. Jesus. Welcome to the strike. Yeah, it's been, it's strike, been a, few, yeah. Yeah, a few months. I missed you guys. You know, like if you think about how long we worked together on Snowfall. Six seven years. years. Six, seven, six yeah, or seven. seven, yeah, seven if, you, if you add COVID into it. Yeah. Yeah. And I was bummed when when, when the show when it was over. I was just like, this sucks. We didn't just end a season, we ended a whole series. Yeah, yeah. Which is you Which know. is also another interesting thing to do when you're there from start to finish. Right. You know, which is my first time start to finish. Yeah. Yeah, I, I worked a little bit on the I was a day player on season one mm. and then worked full time the rest of the time. The rest of the time. All right. So what have you been up to lately? Oh, watching my bank account circle the drain. <laughs> <laughs> where, where is yeah. the toilet flush? Right? I'm, like, I'm like if I if I don't buy this, I can <laughs> right. pay this bill. Right. I'm like, oh my god. And the god. crazy thing is it's like every time you leave the house, you spend money. Yeah. Every, it it's almost as bad as New York. Yeah. It's almost as bad as New York. Um, I've been working, uh, we're supposed to be full-time on a reality show, um, which is a whole different kind of hell, um, <laughs> because people have created their own little fiefdoms. You got the office coordinator dictating on who gets hired and fired. Um, you got a production designer that wants to be the producer. You got... Uh, property master who's overriding the lead man um, I was I was told I was going to be working full time and then the property master jumped in there and was like no I'm plucking, putting my guy in there how does uh, correct, correct me if I'm wrong how I does the know. prop, prop that's master what I, that's what I'm saying <laughs> because <laughs> you're these guys exist in the right. gray area they exist in the gray area I mean technically it's 44 so you know right but they, I, they exist in the gray area in this particular Realm because I don't this realm seen, okay this realm not, they not, got not they got a hundred PAs the PAs are doing stand in work the PAs oh, yeah. are moving furniture and tomorrow they'll be an associate producer right. and they're or they're, they're they're conducting interviews exactly and they're and they're like uh, what do they call it section producers or, or you know or segment producers segment, yeah, segment producers, producers right, right. Exactly. and they're like twenty five you know yeah. and you're like oh my god right. like, I mean I did reality so right, yeah, right. and that's the reason why I got out of it is because it's a little frantic yeah and i did just recently just did a um an espn commercial with uh snoop and um <laughs> uh what's santana's wife's name she's a drummer oh um, you mean the daughter no the no the the wife is a drummer oh i don't know the wife i know that his yeah. daughter is uh, uh sheila e. e yeah but forgive me for not knowing that off the top of my head santana's but, um, daughter is sheila e yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Esteban. Um, well, that's probably why she's a drummer. Right? Or at least a percussionist. Because her yeah. mom's a drummer. Yeah. And <laughs> but we don't know her mom's uh, name. <laughs> and they said, we don't even know if that's her mom. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. yeah, that's a Maybe, Maybe he just has a couple of drummers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, Cindy Blackman. Cindy Blackman. Sydney Blackman Santana. So they did like these little segments and then they cut them all together. So it's like uh, Snoop has his segment, Cindy Blackman has her segment, um, and then, uh, anyway, so they do all their little segments, and then they're cutting them together for the ESPN commercial. Gotcha, oh, gotcha. How's Snoop? 
I couldn't stand next to him for too long because <laughs> I'm getting high just standing there. <laughs> that was actually one of my first jobs when I came, when I moved to LA, probably like the second month I was here. I got called the night before and they were like, hey, uh, we need an extra grip over at uh, mm-hmm. Elysian Park tomorrow at 5 a.m. Like, are you available? I'm like, yeah, sure. I had no idea what it right, was. They're right, like, right, it's right. a music video. I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. Cool. Like, you know, I'll take a day's pay. And it was a Snoop Dogg video. That was like the second or third time that I've been surrounded by his posse where I'm just like, I can't breathe. <laughs> but it's, it's not that, you know, I, I always seem to be the only white guy in the room anyway. <laughs> hey, you grew up in Detroit. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did it to yourself. <laughs> and I'm not uncomfortable. For sure. <laughs> yeah, like today. Yeah, yeah. No, so like most people, um, in this industry, I got in it on accident. I got a degree in industrial design, and I used to do uh, product design for people with disabilities. Ah. And um, I was kind of topping out at about 30 an hour. And uh, I was like, I can't even pay my student loans back. Where'd you go to school? University of Michigan. And, oh, Big and, Blue. Yeah, and Go Eastern Blue. Michigan. I was like, I started at, you know, at U of M, and I was like, why on earth am I paying so much for my education? <laughs> and Eastern Michigan is like right down the street. So I was like, I didn't even have to move. I was just like, I'm going to go to this school. It's like a third of the cost. Wow. wow. <laughs> well, I mean, they didn't have a football team in Eastern? Yeah. Yeah, they do. Not as big as Michigan. Right? Oh, no. What's, <laughs> what's, what's their mascot? Uh, it used to be the Hurons, which is why I went there. Right. And they, they jumped on that Native American bandwagon without consulting anybody right. and just changed the name to the Eagles. <laughs> but, the, but the Hurons, I mean, that's not a derogatory Not name. at all. It's, it's, it's named name after the, the Huron the, tribe the in Michigan. Yeah. But it's yeah. sort of like the Seminoles, you know, it's like in mean, Florida State. But they like, didn't change their name. They no. didn't change it, but the, the, the beef is that... The tomahawk chop and all you that. You didn't bullshit. ask. Well, and actually, the thing with the Huron tribe, the Huron nation, mm-hmm. is they were like, why did you, why did change, you change it? Because you guys uh, have always been very respectful. Right. And they were like, uh, we're just changing it. Well, we're changing it because we <laughs> because don't of, wish to respect you. Yeah, right, because right. we're, we're going to jump on the, we're we're gonna gonna jump on the PC bandwagon yeah, right, yeah. and uh, just change it. Yeah. And the, right. and the president of the university was getting death threats and all kinds of crazy shit. He, like, he had to move out of his house. Because he, ch- because because he changed it without asking the student body. Uh, who, wow. Like from the Hurons? Yeah, from the Hurons to the Eagles. No, no, but I'm saying... No, not the Hurons. He got the threats from... Yeah, right. He got the threats from the student body. Student, crazy student, student body and what, probably alumni? Alumni, yeah. yeah. Alumni, like a ton of alumni just pulled the plug on any money they were yeah. giving them. Oh, wow. So, yeah. yeah. I think they changed the mascot to my college as well. Uh, it used to be the NADS. Go Nads. Go Nads. That is not a joke. That is I've a, heard that. Uh, somebody else went we, to that school. We were, um, we were the Nads. Our uh, cinematographer on Snowfall this year. I really? think he went to that school, or his daughter's going to that school, or somebody like oh, that. Oh, yeah, yes, yes. His daughter's uh, uh, his daughter's talking about um, um, Dave. Dave, yeah. Dave's daughter. Comites. Um, Comites. Yeah. But anyway, getting back to <laughs> yeah, getting that, back to you. Um, so how did you, let's, let's go back. So, so I was, uh, I got my degree in industrial design. I was working for a prosthetic house. And the people that make money in prosthetic houses, I found out the hard way, are the actual people that own it. Um, but they also get government funding. So, and depending on who's in office, they either turn the faucet on or turn the faucet off. And you can 
pretty much imagine who's turning the faucet off. Right. It's, let's just say it's not the Democratic Party. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like I said, I was topping out at about 30 an hour, and I went to work for a prosthetic house, and, there, and when the faucet got turned off, they're like, hey, Rick, can you fix these vacuum pumps? Um, can you fix this? Can you fix that? And suddenly I wasn't working with clients anymore. And I quit that place and went to work for another one, and the same thing happened. So what was that? Was that like early 2000s? That was early 90s. Early 90s? Yeah, really? I'm old, dude. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that makes sense. I that makes sense. I, I, for, I forget that. So I, it was after I got out of the Army, went to school, right after school, got put right into a prosthetic house. Um, and then two different places in Michigan um, that happened to me, and my sister was like, why don't you just come to California? She goes, you don't even like Michigan anymore. I'm so like, you had right. family out here, your sister? My brother and sister had already moved here. Your brother and sister? Yeah, oh, I was wow. the last one to move. Oh, wow. And um, I came out here with no plan. And how long was your family in Michigan? Because I have family in Michigan, too. All our lives. All your lives? Yeah. Like generations? Yeah, yeah. My... Um, I had, we had uh, family members in Detroit. Um, we had what they call Downriver, which is like if you follow the, the Detroit River, anything south of Detroit is called Downriver. Down Wyandotte. Wyandotte. Yeah. That's where my that. grandmother was from. Okay. My other grandmother uh, was in Southgate. Um, the grandmother in Wyandotte, when she retired, she was a pastry chef. She moved up into the middle of Michigan. And, but we're all Mich Michiganders. Right. So at, when that happened to me a second time, I was working in a uh, property making house or a set house, whatever you want to call yeah. them. And then I started doing commercials. And then as soon as I got enough days of commercials, I joined the union. And that was after you moved to California? That was after I moved to California. So when you I was doing a little bit on, like in the summer, I was doing commercials and stuff uh -huh. in Detroit in the summertime. Uh, in between semesters and then when I came here I was working for a, a prop house that doesn't exist anymore and I actually got to go had some really good gigs I was I was a scenic artist for them and I was did like the Barbara Streisand tour I did like a Yanni tour what? like I was in like, India I was in, in Australia really yeah, wow yeah because yeah. yeah. I was the only scenic artist that could travel you were the only scenic artist that could travel. Yeah, nobody you? wanted to travel. Oh no, I worked for this design. Travel. Yeah, I worked for this design firm, uh -huh. and and since I was kind of like, what would you call it? Like the jack of all trades guy. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like if something broke, I could fix it mechanically, and I could also fix the anything that was carpentry work. Mm -hmm. And then I was also doing all the scenic uh, painting. Like I was a scenic artist. I right. was doing the fo the the faux finishes and everything. Wow. wow. Yeah, and then cut to the advent of digital backdrops. All my work went away. All, all that paint work. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would spend days in a scissor lift. Like I did backdrops for Insane Clown Posse, Leonard Skinner, um, um, Barbara Streisand, Yanni, uh, Disney. Like like giant like wow. like hundred feet long, forty feet high backdrops. I spend weeks in a scissor lift. And this is this is mid nineties. All the, this is no, this is now two thousand. Or in the two thousand. Yeah, right, right, uh, two uh, thousand. I got my first. I worked went to work for that design firm, and they immediately put me in as a scenic artist. And then I got the Barbara Streisand tour right after that. Oh wow! With wow. them. So how long were you in L.A.? You moved to L.A. What year? Ninety nine. You moved in 99, all right, mm -hmm. so you were working. Yeah, I was bartending and then you got moved here. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, bartending's fun when you're doing it for a few years, 
and and then it's kind of like being a police officer. It's like eventually <laughs> you get tired of everyone's bullshit, <laughs> <laughs> and just dumb things will set you off. Like you know, somebody gives you like a quarter tip. It's like really, dude, just keep that. Right. You keep that. Obviously, you need it more than I do. Right. As like it probably takes about a year for you to see pretty much everything. You yeah, know, to yeah. be you know, and it was like, in Long Beach, so it was like right. And then you've got to drive way down there. Well, I was living. I moved when I first moved there. I lived in Long Beach. Oh, okay. Yeah, for a long t- for a few years. Whoa. And then I started working in the studios, and I couldn't justify the commute. And that's when I moved into LA right. proper. I was talking to a guy from you know Southern California, and uh, before I moved out here from mm-hmm. Austin, and he told me, "Oh, you should you should move to to Long Beach." Oh, I love Long I, Beach. I didn't move to Long yeah. Beach, but uh, every time I go, we go down there to to work. I'm always like, "This seems like an okay love place Long to Beach. sleep to live." It's probably more culturally diverse than any other city in LA. It's the second largest city in LA County. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just really crazy, like, diverse. And it's a good, nice, walkable city compared to LA. Yes, yes, yes. I, I like Long Beach, too, because I, I catch the train out there. Mm-hmm. So you're you're working on the Barbara Streisand tour. What was that yeah. like? It was a lot of fun um, because I helped build and and do the, the paint treatments for the whole set. It was like a Valley of the Kings theme. Um, so pyramids and columns and all that stuff. And then we went to um, Las Vegas for the 2000. The, it was called the Millennial Tour. So New Year's Eve was in Vegas. Oh, wow. And then they shipped everything to Sydney. Wow. And I, I threw my surfboard in there. Nice. <laughs> Unbeknownst to them. <laughs> so they're taking all this, like, Valley of the King stuff off the trucks, and there's, like, a surfboard, and you see the local... The local hires are like, <laughs> this weird look on their face, like, what the hell? I'm like, that's mine. <laughs> so we did a couple of weeks in Sydney, a couple of weeks in uh, Melbourne, and then I stayed for a month and just couch surfed with the local hire guys. They right. were like, yeah, come stay with us. And, and I went to Adelaide, which is kind of like where Texas would be in our country, and then I drove diagonally across the country through the outback up to like... You, I would say, kind of like where Virginia is in our country. Right. So this area called uh, Newcastle. I stayed there for a few days and then drove down to Sydney from there, which was about a four-hour drive. Wow. Okay. So I stayed about a month surfing, couch sur- couching, couch surfing. So, so how, how long did it? So the tour? How long did the tour last? Um, we they when they when I stayed in uh, Australia, I was w- basically waiting because they shipped everything back. On shipping in shipping containers, mm-hmm. um, so I was basically waiting for the stuff to get back to um, Los Angeles. Oh, and then okay. we did another show in Los Angeles, and then they did a show in New York. Wow! And then that one, and then that was done. How was she? She was cool. Like you know, a lot of these actors, they get a bad rap, and it's not them; it's their people. Their people are like. Uh, she doesn't like when you make eye contact with her. I'm like, what is she, a fucking tiger? Is she going to attack me? What do you mean she doesn't make eye contact? Not only does she, uh, you know, speaking just for, as for Barbara, um, not only does she make eye contact, she made a point to, like, remember people's names. Oh, nice. You know, and, and wh- while the show was running, I was doing props. They had all these elevators underneath where you're sending up props for her. And there's a couple times where she has to go in them and up. And the one time she fell, 
And I lit because like if you get caught in that elevator and it's because it's already on the way up, boom, mm. like you're gonna take fingers off because it's it's a box, right. it's an aluminum box that's on hydraulics that just goes up. Right. If your hands in that frame and it goes up and clears the stage, you're missing fingers. Damn. So she fell backwards, and I literally grabbed her by her ass and threw her <laughs> into, the, into the elevator. And uh -huh. she's like, I'm like, oh, my God. She goes, that's okay. <laughs> you know, she's looking over her shoulder. And, Just in the middle of a performance. In the middle of a performance. I literally, she fell backwards. I grabbed her by her ass and threw her into the elevator. Wow. And she's tiny. She's probably like 100 pounds. Uh, wow. Now, have you washed your hands? No. <laughs> Never. I, I don't even use that hand <laughs> so then then that was done I, we came back um, I think was it it was the in Sydney where she almost fell out of the elevator okay and literally like when when the shows were in LA and New York, it was like a who's who of both those cities. Like if they would have dropped a bomb on those, they would have killed half of Hollywood. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah like literally LA. in the first six rows. Wow. And and the production company was so cool. When uh, when they were in here in LA, they gave me tickets for my brother and sister. Oh yeah. Nice. And my brother and sister are big fans, oh, and they wow. were like fourth row. Nice. And they were like three thousand dollar tickets. Wow. Yeah, how so was, that was really how cool. How much you sell them to him for? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Who loves you? Exactly. <laughs> Who's your best little brother? Um, so you get you come back off that tour, right? Mm -hmm. This is what probably like uh, this is ninety. This is ninety nine. That was um, ninety nine. Yep. Yeah. And then well, two thousand. Two thousand. Um, because this is like you've you moved to L A. in ninety nine. Yeah. Two thousand. You've been working for about a year. Then you get on the tour. Right. You come back to L A. and you're working at the prop house. Uh, yeah. It's it's basically a prop house. It, it, they call it a design. It was a design firm, but it's it's a it's a prop house. Right. I mean, you're building what, sets. What was the name of it? Jordan Goldberg. Jordan Jordan and Goldberg. George. George and Goldberg. Yeah. They don't exist anymore. They're out of, they went out of business. Because uh -huh. uh, right after that, 9-11 happened. Ah, 2001. Yeah. 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 About six months after I got back is when 9-11 happened. So then not only did I get hit with a double whammy of, <clears throat> of uh, digital backgrounds starting to happen, then also 9-11 hit and all that work went away. And I had been picking up commercials here and there, and then I just jumped full on into the commercial world. Now you 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 jumped into the commercial world in what capacity? Set deck or set props? deck? Set deck. Yeah, because the writing on the wall, I was noticing every time I was working on a project as a scenic artist, when I get close to the end, they would have laborers finish it off, just so they didn't have to pay me my rate. Gotcha. Because wow. this is non-union, right? Right, right, right. So I was like, okay, there's, I felt like I just kept getting squeezed it further and further into a corner. And I was just like, well, I had these delusions that working in the art department was going to be artistic. <laughs> and it's, it's really not. <laughs> it's a guy named Art. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just department. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it is what it is. But within 44... I think it encompasses encompasses more different jobs than any other union. Um, you've got the set dressers, the decorators. Um, you've got special effects. You got construction. You got greens. You got uh, um, upholstery, drapery. You know, carpentry. So, carpentry. I've and I've literally worked just about every one of those jobs. Wow. 
except for greens. So if you are in the union, and, and I want to ask mm -hmm. you how you got into the union mm -hmm. in a minute, but when you're in the union, you can easily just go from one position to another? No. No. There are, there, there's the construction side of 44, and there's the set dressing side of 44. They don't like it if you go the uh, back and forth. But everything else is fair game. So like props, yeah. Um, like you said, upholstery. Yeah. Well, no, because that's on the construction side. Oh, I see. Props and set dressing is on the on the kind of art department, art department side, right? And then special effects construction and drapery and upholstery is on the construction side. Gotcha. Uh. And they don't like it when you do it. Now they're they they when I first they got used to get really mad at me when I would do it, and now they've they, they've eased back on that a little bit. Well, you're like, special. <laughs> <laughs> I just got off the struggle bus. The <laughs> <laughs> <A> 44. <laughs> wow. So I, so you know, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't even know. It. Yeah, I thought I, I thought you could just kind of mm -hmm. float around. It's easier to do it now than it was you know 15 years ago. And so what's considered the bourgeois side of that? Is that the art department? You know, I, I'd say special effects. Wow, really? Yeah, special effects um, seems to get away with a lot. <laughs> Hopefully <laughs> I'm not shooting myself in the foot here, but there's a lot of special effects department that, like, they just don't clean up after themselves. They don't. It's like, okay, we blew it up. You clean it up. <laughs> it's like, okay, we just blew up all this glass. See ya. <laughs> and, I'm, and when I'm working as an onset, onset dresser, um, I'm in there like, where, where the fuck is everybody? It's like I got a pile of glass to clean up, and everybody's just disappeared. And what's an onset dresser? Um, we're kind of the liaison uh, between all the different departments. My job is to kind of try to protect the vision of the production designer and the set decorator to a certain extent. So if the grips say, hey, we want to move this stuff because uh, you don't like it, I say, no, <laughs> you can't. <laughs> um, but if they need me to move it so they can put a light there or something, then I move it. And then like I go in, like if there's a continuity problem, if you see it in a movie, it's either my fault or the or the script supervisor script supervisor's fault because we didn't catch it. Right. So I'll go through and before anybody gets in there, I'll do a 360 of photographs. And I used to have to do it with like Polaroid when I first Ooh, started, and yes. carried like a you know a stack of Polaroids. <laughs> we did that for background. Right. I've got to have my Polaroids. Yeah. I still even have Polaroids. And then yeah. right after that, it was okay. I put it all on my computer. You know, I take a, a digital camera and it goes on my computer. And the technology changed so fast that now I just go in with an iPad. And, I, and the only reason I use an iPad is just because it's easier to see than an iPhone. Right. But I just go with an iPad or any kind of tablet and just do a 360 photograph of everything. And then if and then I can go, okay, that's not in the right place now. Hang on a second. Right. right. The thing I love about your iPad is it looks like a book. Yeah, I put it in, the <laughs> it's in a leather binder. Yes. Oh. So if I forget it on set, <laughs> it looks like it's supposed to be there. <laughs> that's Does only happened twice in 15 years. Okay. And but. so how did you, once you got into 44, is that what you wanted to do was on set? No, or? no, no. I worked... Um, what I wanted to do was special effects, but I didn't have any connections. Um, I worked as a set dresser for a little while, and then I was a lead man on Grey's Anatomy for quite a while. And a set dresser? And set dresser. They just come in. A lot of people call them furniture fairies. <laughs> 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 I never heard. Glorified uh, 
furniture movers. It was magically, a, you know, they yeah, magically like, like make it's things. Like it's an empty room, and then you come in the next day, you're like, Jesus, it's full of furniture. Who was it? It was yeah. the furniture. But you're, they're there to help the decorator place things where they want them and, you know, kind of audition different couches if the if production doesn't like certain colors and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a few years. And then I got a gig as a lead man on Grey's Anatomy. And what's a lead man? Lead man is, is a logistics guy. So he's the one that hires all the set dressers. He works with the decorator. And um, they'll come in and it's like, okay, here's the empty room. I go, okay, how big is it? How much stuff do we need? How many trucks do we need? How many people do we need to, to do this? And then I'll hire those, all those people, get the trucks, get all the appropriate gear to to decorate that set. So it's set. sort of the <clears throat> equivalent to like a best a, boy, a best boy, or, right. or right. assistant, exactly. uh, exactly. a key second AD. Yeah. Second, yeah. A lot yeah. of times yeah. decorators will say, "This is what I want," and if you're if they have enough confidence in you, that you they go, "Just this is what I want," and I go, and I, "I go okay," and I just call the guys in and we do it. Now, does lead man lead to decorating? It can. Okay. If you get 30 days as a lead man, you can step over and be a decorator. Ah. Yeah. All, it's always like 30 days, 30 days. Like, I got 30 days. Uh, commercial world is a weird world. It's union, but it's not union. So, and what that means is, like, you can work in it if you're not in the union, but it counts as union days. Like, so if you get 30 days working in commercials, you can then... Tra- you can then apply to join the union. Gotcha. Wow. Um, Is that how you got in? That's how I get in. That's how yeah. you got in. Yeah. Because you were doing the commercials. Correct. In town. Correct. And I was I was working for guys that did big commercials like you know Kentucky Fried Chicken and and Burger King and you know these big big commercials and they all kind of decided to retire at the same time. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay. Yo, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that was funny because these these uh, production companies were calling me and asking me if I wanted to be the art director. And I was like, absolutely. And then they would tell me the rate. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I would call the guys that I used to work for. And they're like, that's like half of what they used to pay me. Uh, and I was like, I'm like, yeah, I don't have anything to prove. You either give me this rate or I'm not doing it. And they're like, oh, well, I don't think we can afford that. And I'm like, okay, bye. Right. <laughs> right. You know, when I'm going to make less as a set dresser than I would as an art director, that's the wrong direction. (laughs) Like I did like those, you remember the Burger King commercial where it's like NASCAR and they're driving around the track and he's driving, like I did that commercial. I spent the entire day covering real NASCAR cars from different eras with fake stickers. (laughs) The entire day. And I had to put blue tape or what they call painter's tape over their existing decals so I didn't damage them and then put our vinyl stickers on top of the blue tape that's on top of the real decals that's on the real NASCAR. And you didn't have a day to, to do that ahead of time? No. Oh, it was the day of and how I did I spent the, uh I think it was eight cars. <laughs> <laughs> and I spent the entire day. It was like here's this one. Boom it goes around the track. You're like, okay, this oh one's next. Boom. God. Did you have anybody helping you? Nope. Oh my God. Damn. And you know the whole time you're saying this is so stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Only, you know, just because it's like, oh, we can't use STP because they won't give us clearance. And you're like, ah. At least give me a day, a half a day. Yeah. So we can at least just get ahead. Mm -hmm. You got like two cars ready to go as soon as we start. But no, you're going to wait however long for me to do this. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Well, I mean, luckily they weren't waiting for me because of my background and working as a scenic artist. It's like. 
some of those things are like it's just kind of second nature. I get kind of savanty. <laughs> <Right. laughs> definitely, definitely five pieces. Right. On that one. Five pieces. Five, five pieces. pieces. Five pieces. Five. Definitely five. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I like about you. You're on top of it. <laughs> Again, struggle bus. <laughs> so you joined 44? Yeah. And now it's seven, seven grand initiation fee. Ooh. And now it's, I heard it's more. I heard it's like nine grand. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we were, we were talking about that earlier. How, I mean, it's expensive. When I joined, it was 3,500. Mm -hmm. And I paid 300 up front. Mm. And they, no, I paid five hundred up front. Yeah, but they came and I didn't pay. I, I wasn't I wasn't working as an AD. Yeah, right. And so I finally got an AD gig, and my fucker sent me this letter. <laughs> hey, I mean, start garnishing it. With right, it. right, exactly. The, it they basically told me that you know if I didn't pay, they were going to come and get me. Mm. And I they were going to come and get you. Well, we're going to come down there. Yeah, we're, we're <laughs> and kick you off. The set. Kick you off the set. Exactly. Oh, I hear you. Yeah, you you will not be able to work at all. In town. Yeah. So I just, for 10 months after that, I just gave him $300 a month and paid it off. Yeah, super cool. Yeah. If, if you don't mind, let's back no. up for a second. Um, how long were you in the Army? Seven years. Seven years in yeah. the Army. Yeah. When did you, uh, when did you sign up? 85, 84? Um, it was right after. Yeah, it okay. was right after the Grenada thing. And it was funny because I went through basic and AIT and jump school and all that crap and went to Fort Bragg and they were like don't unpack <laughs> I was like huh? and then they sent me straight to Central America and wow. that was during the the uh, Sandinistas and the Contra stuff yeah. in Honduras hey did you know anybody from Snowfall on that <laughs> <laughs> the weird thing about that particular situation was growing up in Detroit I saw both ends of it so I saw the crack epidemic happening in Detroit, the gang that ran the crack trade mostly was Young Boys Incorporated, right. was ran by this white kid called White Boy Rick, <laughs> which is the rap that I always get on Snowboy Rick, because I'm the only white guy again. <laughs> it's like, hey, there's White Boy Rick. You're the only white guy named Rick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah true enough. And uh, so I saw that happening. Like you'd see like 14-year-olds driving brand new Cadillacs because they go to the dealer because Detroit was going through another recession. And right. the dealers didn't even get, give a shit who they were selling the car. It's like this kid walks in with 20 grand cash. Take it. Take it. And if the cops caught him, they would just dump the car and go get another one. Right. right. So you're, um, here I am, you know, fucking little white kid going down the street. And there goes a kid cruising by me in a brand new Cadillac and he's younger than me okay <laughs> and I'm like I want a Cadillac <laughs> <laughs> but my dad kept me out of all that bullshit because then because then we moved out of Detroit because things were getting bad right and then we and then when I graduated from high school I couldn't get uh my parents were going through divorce couldn't they couldn't get student loans so my parents were like I'm not signing for a loan and then what I didn't what what the, the crappy thing that happened to me was the schools were just as complicit as putting me in the, in the military as a recruiter. Because they said, you need to tell your parents that they need to get student loans for you. And my parents weren't going to do that. Right. And, but what they didn't tell me is I could have claimed independent student and got my own student loans. So I thought I was at another dead end. And they didn't, they didn't, they didn't give you that option. Right. So I struggled for about a year and a half. And then um, 
I said, fuck it. And I just pulled the plug, went to the recruiter station, and I was in 11 days later. And, wow. and you know, and I don't, I don't mean to, to knock the military. No, no, I, I don't get offended form, by But I mean, that, that just seems like a situation where you as a young mm-hmm. person is just literally my option of last resort is to go into the military. And that's the and, first resort for a lot of people. Right. But there's a lot of people that's the last resort, too. Yeah. The military is full of people who have no options. Yeah. You know, and it's mostly financial. Yeah. yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll get my student loans and... Yeah, I'll be able to go to school. I'll and be able can, to go to school, yeah. and hopefully, I won't die in the process. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not what, that's not how they put, that's not how they portray it. No, and, no, no. And be yeah. all, all you, you can, can be. be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> go fuck yourselves. Right. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever done a, Have you ever done a, uh, a like an army or military commercial? No, no. no I, I actually did a CIA training film once, though. Oh wow! Yeah. How I, was that? It was like a. It was literally like a. Do you know where Lacey Studios is? Yes. Yeah. So they did it in there, and it was like we dressed, uh, and actually I was the art director on that. We decorated uh, sets to look like different parts in cities in the Middle East. And they were training films for training uh, CIA on how to interrogate people. Right. Wow. <laughs> it's like, wait, what? <laughs> Bring like, in the water. I, yeah, I was like, hey, what? I, and it was funny because I, I, the guys that were working for me, I'm like, did you read this disclaimer? Because they just signed it, and and I was like, this is, this is serious, you guys. Like, you might want to read it. You might, yeah, you might <laughs> right, want to read right. this. And they're like, I don't care, I just want the money. I'm like, all right, because yeah. it was good money. It was a commercial rate, and so it was like, you know, 15 years ago, that was, you know, like 400 a day. Yeah, which is good money. Yeah, so, you know. Uh, so you spent seven years in the military. Mm-hmm. You were um, you were deployed to Central America? Yeah, Central America, um, Honduras, Panama, then to Somalia, then to... Somalia. Somalia. So you were in then, Africa. Then uh, Iraq. Did they have... Um, I might be getting in the weeds here. Did they have the... Um, I think they have a, a big base in, like, Djibouti? Yes. I think that was well, that was probably a peacekeeping mission, yes, right? Correct. Yeah, um, in Somalia, Djibouti. Djibouti, there's a military big yeah. uh, U.S. That, base. That's that kind a, of their staging point. That's a country, or that's a yeah, Djibouti. Yeah, it's your booty. What's wrong? Boy, boys and girls, you know your African geography. <laughs> exactly. It's like, wait, you don't know that you're a black man? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Oh, shit, my car. <laughs> You're right. I was what they called a combat MP, which is different than the MPs you saw at, like, Abu Ghraib and stuff like that. Like, right. I didn't do any of the jailhouse shit. Um, we, they used to, sometimes they call us palace guards. Or, okay. But we did a lot of, like, diplomat security, um, convoy escorts, like, high-end security missions. Okay. And peacekeeping missions, high-end stuff. Mm-hmm. Stuff that the guys from Blackwater are making $150,000 right, doing, right. doing that, yeah. and I was getting paid $26,000 a year. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, yeah, I mean, again, kind of getting into the weeds. My understanding is that it was during Bush Sr.'s administration that Cheney helped push yes. through Doubt- legislation mm-hmm. that yeah. made it it, it, it opened up the door to contractors, yeah. so that eventually, once we did have a, uh, a war, a war, and I, I was in, you know, yeah. I was in Iraq and Afghanistan during in like 2008 right. to 2010. Yeah, it's like the money was there, the contracts were being set up. It was legal yeah. to pay all of these private contractors. Well, do well like, because if I killed a civilian, mm-hmm. I'm going to jail. 
that's it. Right. There's no argument. There's no, I'll be making little rocks out of big rocks. Um, the, the private contractors, if they kill a civilian, they just ship them out. So they can't prosecute them. So it's plausible deniability. That's the reason why they they would always make sure whatever security agreement that they had always made sure that you couldn't prosecute any right. Americans when right. when in country. Yeah, but that's like that's a thing that's set up before we even go in. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Because we didn't have that agreement in most countries. No. Um, and um, like I I used to date this lieutenant when I was on this I was in. Uh, the Philippines for like six months on a security mission and I was dating this lieutenant and she uh, killed a kid drunk driving and they prosecuted her ass. So did she have to do Korean, I mean, or Filipino? Um, I think, if I remember correctly, I think what happened with her is they convicted her and then she did like a little bit of time and then they got her out of the country somehow right. and then they kicked her out of the service. Wow. Small favors. Yeah, yeah, right. There, because I'm spending the time in jail in the Philippines. There. <laughs> so, you, you obviously you you did your seven years mm -hmm. in the army, and then you came back and you went to school. I took. And what what made you decide to go into uh, uh, industrial design? I wanted nothing to do with my previous lifestyle. Okay. Nothing. I wanted a full departure from that lifestyle. Okay. So no, no I, security or anything like nothing. that. Nothing. No, right. I, I just when I, I guess what I was thinking of it's like you're doing prosthetics, but that's mm -hmm. after you've gone to school. Correct. And it seems like there's a little bit of a connection there. There, I mean, that right? was always in the yeah. back of my mind. But I kind of got uh, had some really good um, uh, professors who kind of pushed me in that direction because they saw my um, sculptural ability. And, and then I had mechanical ability and so they kind of kept almost kind of pushing me in that direction okay of like you should you'd be really good at this um, but I took like god I think it was almost a year off uh, when I got out of the arm a year off of when I, when I said doing anything doing just, anything I just yeah. did odd I worked as like a maintenance man for like a year after I got out of the army because I was too crispy around the edges to like go <laughs> right into the school and uh, I was like yeah I don't want to choke anybody um, <laughs> I almost did actually <laughs> At least you know yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, exactly. You're, the, the well, you just go into the red real quick, and, right. and um, your flight or fight broke button is broken. I, right. I, I was never in any in in as mm -hmm. as much I think military environment as you are. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I was only in, you know, I was working overseas for three years, but I remember that the first time I was back in Boston driving, I I totally went right back to yeah. Kabul You're and like, I was like I, I didn't stop for yeah, anything yeah, yeah one of my gigs was uh, in when I was in the army I, I drove for the secretary of the army for a year and uh, John Omar's junior and I had a, a forest green Porsche and there were three of them and we never knew which car he was going to get into and when he'd get into a, he'd, there'd be three people that got into a car but you didn't know if you had the real dude until he got in it and we'd all go in three different directions from there from the tarmac oh wow and then I drove for the Secretary of the Army of Egypt every time he came into the country. Wow. Into? Into, into this country, okay. when he came into this country. And I drove for him a couple times in Egypt, and that was stupid. <laughs> 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 because it's like, I don't know where I'm going, you know? It's right, like, right. and the traffic's different, and... This is all know. before GPS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, here's a map, here's the keys, there's the armor probably Mercedes. Go get, go get familiarized. I'm like, how many days do I got? Two. 
two, two really? days. Really? Oh, yeah, two hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, like, the things they train you, there's a school you go through. It's like EVOTS, and they they train you, like, tactical driving and blah, blah, blah. Or if you had a couple cocktails on what it's going to do to your reaction times and this, that, and the other. And there's there's roundabouts everywhere in Cairo. And... And one of the tactics is when they're trying to assassinate somebody is they just box you in. So they'll get, a car will get in front of you, hit its brakes, the car behind you will hit you, and then two cars will come up alongside of you and pin you in so you can't get out of the car. Right. And in Cairo, getting bumped happens all, all the time. All the time. Yeah. No, when I was in Kabul. I we, didn't know that. We had to go wow. out with $200 cash in our yeah. pocket. Just That was car insurance. Yeah. It was you bump somebody, you, yeah. you give them a hundred bucks, yeah. and then they'll leave you alone. Yeah. So really? I got yeah. I got tagged from behind, and the car in front of me stopped real quick, and there was two cars on each side of me, and I just and the guy the <laughs> <laughs> secretary of the army of Egypt's in the back seat, and I just boom and hit the hit the gas pedal. I just plowed my way through because I'm an armor plated Mercedes right, right. a ton. <laughs> I literally just plowed through the. The guy in the front. I literally just like peeling people away, and they get back and everyone's laughing at me, <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, what's going on there, Crash?" Because <laughs> I just totaled like both sides of the Mercedes was just flat. You couldn't even get out of the car. So <laughs> that's a good one. I like that. Wow. Um, so you come, you leave the army, you come back, you you're going to school. Decompress for like a year, and right. then I went to school. And you went to school, and mm -hmm. you're living in Detroit. When I came back, I didn't go back into Detroit at all. The craziness, you know, because of the drug trade, and and you know, that used to be a thing. I don't. It's not a thing out here. Devil's Night is not a thing. No. Unless you're in like Ohio or Michigan. Right. And I thought that was like I thought everybody knew what that was. But Devil's Night, or what they, or some people call it Mischief Night, is the day before Halloween. Ah. And if you ever saw the movie The Crow, they they show a scene of Devil's Night where they're burning buildings, burning like houses. It's like New Jack City. Yeah. So basically, what that was is Detroit was so poor that it couldn't tear down the vacant houses, so people were setting up shop in these houses dealing crack out of them or whatever um so the neighborhood people it was almost like vigilante justice would literally just burn them out of the house they just light it on fire oh right? god and but the problem is in detroit a lot of those old neighborhoods the eaves of the houses the houses might be 12 feet apart but the eaves of the houses are only about four feet apart oh wow so and <laughs> the one time we got in a lot of trouble because we were jumping from rooftop to rooftop and you could go th like through a whole block and we're literally like jumping on people's houses <laughs> right, right. <laughs> through the neighborhood um but you know so what would happen is someone would light one of those houses on fire but then it would catch the whole block on fire. <laughs> right. yeah yeah oh shit it's like oh we didn't mean that to happen <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but then it became a thing of like you know what fuck it we're just going to burn down all the all the vacant buildings Every every Devil's Night, and that went on for quite a few years. Yeah. And so, is that one of the reasons why uh, Detroit seems to have like a, a a noticeable amount of vacant lots? Yes, absolutely. Gotcha. And this all happened. This was sort of a phenomenon that happened in the eighties. Correct. Oh. Right, and it's also because the drug trade and the um, poverty, poverty, and, and people were moving white flight. Right, and yeah. there was and all of all manufacturing was leaving. Gone. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, a brief history of Detroit 
Um, Detroit essentially helped win World War II. Right. They out-mass-produced uh, the countries we were fighting against because we had the assembly lines already set up. So we were mass-producing tanks and jeeps and every other vehicle. And then out at Willow Run Airport, which is why Ypsilanti, is where they built the B-52 bombers. Mm. Side note, the largest population of little people in the 40s in the entire country because they hired little people to work inside the turrets. Oh, wow. Because they yeah. were the only one that could in there, get in there comfortably and actually do the work. Wow. Get out of here. <laughs> so there's a, there, there was like a sort of population boom Yeah, there was there. a huge population of little people in Ypsilanti, Michigan for about 10 years. Interesting. Yeah, but so we basically outmass produced these countries we were fighting against. Then after World War II, the powers that be said, we probably shouldn't have all the factories in one place. Right. Which makes a lot of sense. If they bomb Detroit, we're screwed. Right, right. So they started moving out. Well, all the migration from the people that moved from the south, the only people that could afford to move were people that had saved their money or maybe had been working on the assembly line for a few years, and then they moved with those jobs. People didn't have that much money. They had to stay. Right. So then you cut to, I think there was a 49 riot, and then a 67 or 68 riot. Right, right. So then the white folks started moving out, the white flight. Right. Into Which the was happening everywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. And, the you know, all that crazy racist silliness. Um, everybody was moving out anyway. Yeah. And, again, you just have a, the poor population, people that can't afford to move, are still there. Yeah. Um, and then you have the oil embargo in the 70s. Japanese, Japanese cars, cars were kicking are, our asses. Yeah. Um, then you had the, after that was... Uh, the epidemic. No, the free trade. Oh. That started under, um, that started under Reagan's administration, free trade, free trade and then um, Clinton signed off on it. This is NAFTA year. Yeah, Eventually it was, NAFTA. Na- it was yeah. NAFTA. It was NAFTA. Yeah. So they started moving, under Reagan's administration, they started moving out of the state. Under Clinton's administration, they started moving out of the country. country. Right. So, so th- again, you have all the people at the top still making the same amount of money, but the people that are actually doing the work, much like what's going on with our strike, <laughs> exactly. it's like, are not making any money. Right. They're not making a, a living wage anymore because there's less, job, less jobs. Same amount of people, smaller job yeah. pool. Since you since you mentioned that, um, obviously we're all feeling the effects yeah, of the strike. Right? Um, and and, and it, seriously, it seems <laughs> exactly. it seems like kind of like my beer. It's going down. <laughs> and I don't have anything else in the can. I mean, it it seems like to me almost uh, almost on a daily basis, it, it kind of ratchets it ratchets up with our strike. It, yeah, yeah, with, with our, our strike, strike. Just yeah. the, just the effect that it has yeah, yeah, on yeah. on the people that. Are workers mm-hmm. that aren't working? Yeah, um, and because we don't have, we don't get any strike benefits because we're technically we're not on strike. You know, and, and you and I, we've talked about mm-hmm. this before. The sort of um, the dynamic of like, how do you explain what we do in the film industry to like our families and you know our friends that you know back east that are blue collar and just don't yeah. get it what we're doing? But how do you how do you explain this labor dispute? to those folks that don't get it. Well, the IATSE, we had the same thing. We authorized a strike last year, and we didn't do it. 
which is the, I think is a 21, mistake. right? Yeah. 21, yeah. Yeah, which is which I thought was a mistake. You think I, the IATSE should have gone on strike? Absolutely. Like you guys did not For the same reasons. Companies like Amazon and Netflix do not want to pay into our they don't want to pay our benefits, they don't want to pay into our retirement, and they don't want to pay the going rate. They just don't want to do it. So they literally gave us this Trumpian offer of nothing. Like they literally said, fuck you, we're not doing it. And then we had to fight back to level and then we gained our 3% raise, which we get every negotiation anyway. So, and every time there's a, a negotiation, they take a little bit more of our health care and make us pay a little bit more for it. So they're squeezing that every time. They just, nobody wants to pay for us, the people that are doing the work. And if you look at, if you look at the CEOs that run these companies, I was I was reading an article the other day. One of the CEOs would pay for everything that these people are asking for. Their their payroll would pay for everything that be, these people are asking for. That's how much money they're making. So they're basically turning the entertainment industry into the UAW, the United Auto Workers. Right. Who are All the people at the top are making tons of money and the people that are actually doing the work, they're just they keep squeezing and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. And that's the same thing that's going now it's it's a little obviously it's a little different with writers and actors. You know, I have people that are background friends of mine that they're forcing them to do body scans. So so and so it's they're crazy. gonna use them when they do like these big crowds like you saw in in um, you know these NASCAR scenes or 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 um, what's the the Russell Crowe movie? A Gladiator. Gladiator, where they got thousands of background. Yeah, so Gladiator now they're gonna, too. Yeah, so now they're gonna now they're gonna just put they're gonna digitize these people into the crowds. That means the um, makeup people aren't doing cutting cut makeup, background props, hair, props, wardrobe. Wardrobe is going to take a huge hit. Yeah, costumes. Yeah, ads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so that means transportation. All, all of those people. Yeah. All of those people, that's going to cut Catering, into their bottom line. Exactly. And how many jobs they have. Maybe yeah. not their bottom line, but it's going to cut into how many yeah, jobs they have. Yeah, exactly. So again, just like the auto industry, it's the same amount of people looking for the, the same jobs, and they're squeezing the job pool and making it smaller. Yeah. And so eventually, if, if they're successful... Then it's just going to be like it is. It's going to be whatever it is. People are going to fighting for everything. Well, let me let me ask you. Let me ask you another question because you, you you're a member of IATSE. Yes. Yeah. You, you IATSE th- was threatening to. to we sh- authorized it. Yeah, yeah, I know you guys yeah. authorized yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I know you guys you you guys voted mm-hmm. and it was, it was overnight. Well, over ninety percent. Yeah. Yeah. My my thing is now. I'm starting to hear grumblings of you know. Um, other unions besides mm-hmm. the actors and and the um, the writers, you know, people who work in the industry who are sort of grumbling to the effect that, you know, the writers and the actors are not being reasonable, they're not being realistic, and they need to settle. Which I I personally find a little bit um, I don't want to say hypocritical, but it, it, it's confusing because it's like you you guys, you know, most likely would have voted yes mm-hmm. on the strike. It's just that right now you didn't vote for this particular strike um, and you're feeling the brunt. Well, yeah, we're definitely suffering because of it. People that I work with are complaining about the strike. And all, and it's completely from a selfish point of view. Right. It's all about money. Yeah. And it's like, well, if you didn't live beyond your means, <laughs> you on. might have some money. Right. Yeah. 
and and it, maybe you shouldn't maybe when you saw that the strike was coming you shouldn't have paid for that hundred thousand dollar pool and, and this is this is a real person that I'm referring to I'm not gonna say who it is okay but it's a real person and it's somebody that's in my union and it's like and they're pissing and moaning and it's like well you saw the strike coming you knew it was gonna happen you were betting that it just wasn't gonna go on as long as it is there's a lot of us thought. yeah I mean I thought it was gonna be done by end of summer I thought it was but, I, but I didn't put any bets on it. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. I told the missus I was like, "Do not, do, no large expenditures, not right now." Yeah, yeah. And I guess you gotta, you have to be, you have to be smart about it. And those who aren't, you know, um, are going to feel probably the pressure a little bit more. Yeah. But I mean, you're, they're they're undercutting by complaining about it. They're undercutting the reason these people are going on strike. Well, yeah, and then that's the thing for me is, is like, I understand, like, I'm hurting. I'm yeah, absolutely hurting. You know, it's, you know me. It's like, yeah. I, I'm I'm on the bottom of the totem pole, you right. know, we, we, on the jobs that I've worked recently. And so I didn't have a whole lot of cushion. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm certainly hurting. But morally, I think... Um, and, and on principle, I, I can't I can't complain. No, you know because if the shoe were on the other foot and that were my union right. and my union voted to go on strike mm -hmm. and and there was no agreement and we did go on strike, you know then I'll, I I'd be fighting for you know and arguing for mm -hmm. what I believe we deserve. Absolutely, you know even and, and knowing that. There's going to be other people in our industry that may be left out, you know, yeah. or, or suffering because of one other union's, mm -hmm. you know. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. Whenever a vote for a strike ever came up, probably yeah. in the last 25, 30 years in Hollywood, there isn't a union that didn't vote to go on strike. Yeah, I can't speak on that. Teamsters. Yeah, I can't speak on that. Because yeah, the, last time, like, I, the last time the writer's strike happened was 15 years ago. And I know that we were in support of the writer's strike, but it didn't stop work. And what happened was is people were stockpiling stuff. Yeah. Because they knew it was coming. Right. And basically what they did is they greenlit stuff right before the strike happened. Because so then you could work. Because then, then we could work. It's exactly. like, oh, well, yes, we support them, but... If you don't want to cross the picket line, then you're just not going to make any money. Right. And um, and I and that's when I had just gotten into the union. And I was like, oh boy, you know, this is a tough decision. Yeah. But I mean, I was just, I'm just recovering from the COVID shutdown because I usually, you know, I do that thing of like six months of payroll. Exactly. Making happens. sure you have yeah exactly. And and I went through that. Um, uh, the six months. Right. We were shut down for six months. Right. Almost seven for COVID. And I was just starting to recover financially from that hit, and I didn't. I don't didn't have the six months uh, payroll saved this time because yeah, I was cause paying it's, off it's three years. Things. Yeah, yeah, it's only been three years. And um, and I was just starting to build back up, and I only got about halfway there, and then this hit. So I'm just like, oh boy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think one of the things that we like to to think about is like that sort of management. Like, how do you get through living? In Los Angeles, working in this industry, like, what's what's your um, approach? It, I didn't buy any toys until I got my first house. Now that's not attainable right now because of the cost of housing and um, the interest rates. But I would literally buy a piece of crap, whatever, that was mechanically sound, 
Got you to work. Got me to work. I never had to worry about it. I would drive it till it started giving me problems, and then I would dump it and get another one. I did that for almost 10 years. And then when the market crashed, I was like, now I can buy a house. Yeah. And then I bought a toy. You know, I bought a boat. And then I got my, I got a vintage Porsche. You know, I've always had motorcycles. That's my weakness. But, um, but I didn't like. There's a lot of guys. I see these guys. I mean, if I came, if I came out of high school and was went straight into the entertainment industry, I don't have a Los Angeles right now. But I started late. I, I didn't even get to Los Angeles till I was 35. Um, but I see guys in their early 20s, and they start making that money. And the first thing they do is go out and start buying toys. The flash car, the 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 super bike, the 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 jet ski, the boat, the this, exactly. the that, the other. But, but you're young and that's yeah, what you but do. But you know what? No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, I didn't have anybody in my corner no, telling me not but, to do it. No, exactly. But usually those guys not, I wanna say usually. A lot of times, those guys are legacy. You know what um, I mean? I know a lot of guys who've done that. Their legacy, so they, they, their parents, their have parents been have been in. in yeah. So, so it's I, like I can't. I know a few of them that are, and a few of them that aren't. So I can't really. I I can't. I don't know the averages, but it's just like, you know, there with the entertainment industry, it's recession proof. It's a lot of things proof. It's not COVID proof. No. It's not strike proof. No. But everything else, we always seem to work our way through it. Yeah. And we'll always stay working. When people are pissed off and not working, they want to watch TV and they want to check out. Exactly. And they want to go see movies. During the Depression, one of the, the, the biggest one of the yeah. biggest industries was yeah. entertainment because people want to get away. They want to lose whatever they have to, th yeah. whatever, they want to lose that feeling of uh, depression, of, of just... Low life, yeah, you know, just like, no hope. Exactly, no, no. and then you, you go in and you want escapism. Yeah, and you and you go and you go spend two hours in in a theater, and that's what you get to do. Yeah. So I mean, it's like because when the housing market crashed, people are hurting. Yeah. And and we were working steady, dude. I I worked the I entire so much money. I worked that. the entire housing. I was on Grey's Anatomy during yeah. that. Yeah. I was on Chuck. Yeah. We we were we never stopped working. I did nine years on that show. Grey's Anatomy. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What was your funnest show? Snowfall. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. That's been the most fun. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Loved 90% of the people on the show. Enjoyed coming to work every day. Um, you know, there's always people that get under your skin. Yeah. Um, there's always an asshole in the room who thinks they're just misunderstood and mad talented. And it's like, no, you're just an asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it goes for literally from the lowliest PA to the highest paid producer. Oh, yeah. Or actor. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a ton of good people, and, and especially on Snowfall. And um, but there's always you know one or two in the room that are like I I should be doing this and blah 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 and you suck and they suck and I'm the best and yeah and it's like no dude you're just an asshole <laughs> right exactly <laughs> I think that's everywhere you yeah know, I mean it's always but it's everywhere. like you know if you talk to people in the Midwest they're like oh my god it's so glamorous and blah 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 it's yeah. like no it's this, not. that's that's but even here. In California, people think because you work in the business, yeah, that that's my brother is a fanboy. Yeah, I mean he's like he's just starstruck every time I bring him on the set. Like, <laughs> I'm like just here, you, you never brought him to Snowfall, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I yeah, think I when that. I think season two, when you weren't there, I wasn't there. <laughs> I remember you brought your nephew, my nephew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now your nephew Connor. was like season three or yeah. season. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that was like season three. Yeah. How's he doing? 
Uh, he's okay. <laughs> he's, he's probably like 18 now? No, 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 no. He's, he's like 23. 23? Oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He thought he was a teenager. He got married. He got married. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, that's, I told him, I looked him dead in his face. I go, you know, there's easier ways to get laid. <laughs> <laughs> um, Abby's up. Abby? The Abby is up. Who, do you, who would you like to hear? I'd like to go with another uncle. Uncle P. Prentice? <laughs> Prentice. Prentice, yeah. right. Prentice Sinclair was one of our camera operators. I'm yeah, so yeah, definitely. Good guy. Funny. Yeah. yeah. You're, you know, we had we had Tommy here. Did you have Tommy? How yeah, and we're, gonna, we're also going to bring in um, uh, A. Lim. Alex. Okay, Alex, yeah. yeah. I just actually was with Alex and half the camera crew Thursday because um, they, they were kind of celebrating... Um, uh, Oktoberfest over at Golden Road Brewery. Oh, oh wow, okay, cool over in Glendale. Yeah, right. I was on. like, yeah, it's right down the road from me. I'll come. Oh, right. Yeah, they very think. cool, very cool. All right, well, Martini's up. All right, Martini. What are you watching? What makes you happy? Um, I, you know, I'm watching this crazy, um, not crazy, but this series that probably no one will ever watch uh, called uh, Village Francais. Yeah, uh, it's in French. Village Francais, okay. Yeah, it takes place during World War II, and it goes over like a six-year time frame. Okay. It's seven seasons. Wow. I've been watching like maybe an episode a night. I'm finally to the seventh season, and it literally goes through the beginning of the occupation of the Germans, through the end of the occupation, and now the them trying to get their act together after the occupation, and this last season I think is going to be like when the, the dust starts to settle a little so bit. So this is all 1940s France. Yeah, 1940 to like 1946, 47. Oh, wow. Oh, That's wow. Just, so what um, What network is that? Um, that is on uh, Amazon. It's Amazon. in Amazon. Okay. okay. Is it an Amazon original or is it like BBC no, or it's something? A, it's I, um, whatever the French version of BBC I think is. That, that might be TV1. Yeah, yes. I, I remember seeing the logo, TV1. I don't, I don't, I don't sit around and watch foreign films or foreign series all the time. I'm not that, I'm not that guy. <laughs> right. But I do like it, and I don't mind reading subtitles. So nice. Actually, you know, I watched um, Cleo. It's a, speaking of a, mm -hmm. uh, a foreign language film. Cleo is a German. Yes, that was good. Actually. That was I really that liked was that. the fall of the Berlin Wall era, right? Right. Yeah, right. that was funny. But, but you know what? But you know what reminded me of it is uh, um, with the thing with Jodie Comer and. Uh, Oh, are you talking Sandow. about um, Killing Eve? Killing Eve. It was very Oh, much, that's, that, was, was, very that was BBC, right? Killing Eve? Wasn't yeah, it BBC? I think it was, it was BBC. BBC, yeah. Cleo is a lot like Killing Eve. Yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. And that came out after Killing Eve. It was fun. I watched it. I liked it. it a lot, actually. And before that, I was watching Babylon Berlin, which takes place in between World War One and World War Two, and that's all in German. Yeah. With subtitles. With subtitles. Right. <laughs> Oddly, I wasn't uncomfortable with all the German being spoken about. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Unfortunately, God, we could talk to you like for another three hours. All right. Well, Uncle Ricky. Yeah. So why don't you, so you call it? It's a wrap. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. All right, buddy. Thank Appreciate you, baby. It, brother. Of course. Yes. Oh, that was so cool. Rick Seeloff. Yes, Uncle Ricky, we appreciate you, brother. 
It's good to see you. Uh, we haven't seen you in a while. I know I came by the house and collected some vegetables. And uh, that was early on in the strike. And the strike's still going, so maybe I may need to come get more. It was definitely cool to see Rick. I, he's one of those guys that I really like to see every day and show up to work and just see how he's doing and catch up. Yes, definitely. Very funny guy. Yeah, he's down to earth. He's straightforward. He tells it like it is. Uh, he's no nonsense. No and, nonsense, exactly. And uh, that helps me get through the day. All right. Cool. So next week, next episode, we have Bobby Thomas. BT. Bobby Thomas keeps it moving every day he on does. set. <laughs> Key grip. Um, one of the best in the business. He worked on um, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. Worked on Snowfall. Yep. And one of his best friends was the late great John Singleton. Yes. Indeed. They actually were roommates. So that's Bobby Thomas next week. If you like listening to the show, subscribe and follow us. This is BC. I'm Spoon. We'll be back next week. See ya or hear ya on the next one. <laughs> <laughs>